0: The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Why don't you take your Bibles and open up to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're back in 1 Peter uh, this afternoon, and uh, this week brings us to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, where uh, Peter addresses the major theme of his book, and that major theme is the theme of Christian suffering, Uh, not just the suffering that we endure as Christians, uh, but the suffering that we endure because we're Christians, It's the suffering for righteousness' sake that Peter's addressing, and that's the common thread uh, that really ties the the whole book together. It's a prominent feature of this particular section, and it saturates uh, this entire epistle. Uh, Chapter 4 and verse 12 calls this suffering a fiery ordeal. In verse 13, it calls it the sufferings of Christ. Verse 14, it says that we're reviled for the name of Christ. Verse 16, it speaks about those who suffer as Christians. And verse 18 speaks about the, the righteous who are saved with difficulty. And then in verse 19, it speaks of those who suffer. Like, like I said, suffering, uh, those uh, who face difficulties, it just saturates the section of First uh, Peter. And we might have expected Peter to encourage his readers by saying something like this. You know, I'm so sorry that these difficulties have come upon you. And, and I really didn't see any of this coming. I can't imagine the great sorrow that you must be experiencing right now or the dark days that are ahead. Uh, You know, we don't always understand why the Lord removes His hand of blessing from our lives, but I'm praying that your shame would be lifted and that the glory of the Lord would return to your life. But that's not what Peter says. Instead, Peter says things like, keep on rejoicing. He says, you're blessed. (laughs) He says, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Maybe not the kind of uh, counsel that you're expecting for somebody who's, who's going through it. Somebody who's experiencing uh, the persecution of the world. But but this is what Peter says. He says, you're, you're blessed. Keep rejoicing. This, this is God resting on you while you're in this predicament. Peter reminds us that if we suffer because of our Christian faith, we shouldn't be surprised by it at all. We actually should expect to suffer as believers. In John chapter 15 and verse 20 Uh, Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Expect it. And we need to keep in mind that we're living in the same world that persecuted and crucified our master and the author and perfect of our faith. So why would we expect the world to treat us any differently? Uh, Did you expect to follow Jesus without a scratch? Uh, This week I started reading about the, the life of Amy Carmichael. Uh, she was an Irish Christian missionary who served in India where uh, she opened an orphanage and founded a, a mission in uh, Danavar, uh that rescued many young children uh, from the Hindu temple service, which uh, really amounted to, uh, to forced prostitution. Uh, she saved these children from the, the horrors of that life, uh, was simply known to the children as Amma, uh, which, which, which is uh, the word for mother. And uh, she served in India for 55 years from 1901 to 1951 without a furlough. She never came home, 50 years on the field. And she viewed persecution as just a part of the Christian life. Uh, While serving in India, uh, Carmichael received a letter uh, from a young lady who was considering life as a missionary, and uh, the young lady asked Carmichael, "Uh, what is missionary life like? And Carmichael wrote back and said, missionary life is simply a chance to die. She wrote these words in a, in a well-known poem. Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascended star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer's spent. Lean me against the tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound and no scar? Carmichael lived in danger. She was hated by the temple priest, but she understood that she followed a crucified Savior. Did you expect to follow a Savior who was hated by the world and that you would be loved by the world? And we have a Christianity today that, that desperately wants approval by the world. 1 John chapter 3, verse 13 says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised at that. Matthew 10, 22, You'll be hated by all because of my name. And in John chapter 15 and 19, it says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. And one of the questions that uh, was asked of those who desire to, to join Carmichael's mission was this, Will you pay the price to live a crucified life? There are some who would have Christ cheap, Christ without the cross, but the price will not come down. The call to follow Jesus is simultaneously an invitation both to life and to death. In Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The call to follow Jesus is a call to lose your life, deny yourself, hate your life in this world, pick up the cross and follow after him. It's a call to come and to die. Uh, but that call to come and die is also a call to live. So why should we be surprised when the world that we turned away from and let go of turns against us? It should be what we would expect. And that's what Peter reminds us of. Look at First uh, Peter chapter 4. Uh, the focus will be 12 to 16, but I'll read down to verse 19 just to set the context for us. First Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evil doer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and Father, we pray that you would open up this word to us. Help us to understand what we read. Father, I pray that you'd help us to apply these things to our life, and Father, that you would make Christ even more glorious to us today. Now, Father, I pray that you would uh, use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12 of First uh, Peter chapter 4 is a new section of Peter's letter. Uh, verse 11 concluded with a doxology, and uh, verse 12 opens up with this direct address. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. And uh, the purpose of these verses is to help us gain a perspective on suffering for righteousness' sake. Uh, but I don't want you to miss the, the pastoral compassion that Peter offers to his readers. He's about to speak uh, to a group of suffering believers who are likely surprised and confused and troubled by what they've been experiencing. And uh, if you read through this counsel for them, you might be tempted to think that Peter lacks compassion. You know, he's telling them, hey, rejoice in that. You know, you're blessed, you know, all these believers are suffering. But the first thing that Peter reminds them is, is that they're loved. The, the word agapetos, it's a, a common designation for Christians. Beloved, beloved. It's a reminder that, that Peter says this out of love and compassion for them. And it's also a representation of God's love for them as well because uh, love is from God. Uh, MacArthur calls the love of God the sweet pillow for believers' weary soul to rest on in the midst of trials and persecution. So the first thing that he reminds them of is that God loves you. Beloved, this is why I'm writing this to you. This is not a, a harsh and caring word for these believers, uh, but a word that's filtered through Peter's own love for them and also through God's love for them. So how are they to understand this, this word on suffering? First of all, it's through this filter of the love of, of God and the, the love that Peter has. Uh, but the first word here and the, the first point of our outline is to expect it. You're, you're, you're suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. What, what did you expect? <laughs> Do, do you know the world that we're living in? Do you, do you know who you've signed up to follow? Do you know that Jesus Christ himself was crucified by this world? Do you expect to follow after him and, and not experience any suffering? So he says, don't be surprised. He uses the Greek word zanidzo. You know, have you ever heard that word uh, Xenophobia. It, it comes from the, the same root of this word. It's the, the fear of strangers, the fear of foreigners. And uh, we get it from this, the, the same root of this word zinitza, which uh, is translated here. Don't think it's strange. And what Peter is saying is don't think that the trials that you're experiencing are like a foreign invader. It's not strange. Don't, don't think of it as some unknown stranger. You know, when you suffer, you shouldn't be shocked as like, you know, who is this at my front door? Who is it? It shouldn't surprise you when the, the fiery trial comes and knocks on your door. Your response should be something like, I've been expecting this. You know, when, it, when the trial comes to knock on your door, it should be like, I've been expecting you. And this actually comes in the form of a command. Do not be surprised. And there's, there's a reason why Peter says that we should expect these kinds of trials, not think of them as strange, and it's because our trials, are. Suffering for Jesus Christ actually has a purpose behind it. There's a divine purpose behind Christian suffering. Look again at what Peter says in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. The the trial that you experience has a purpose. There's a purpose behind the fiery ordeal, and it is for your testing. Now that word "testing" is the Greek word "perizomos." It could be translated as uh, temptation, as a solicitation to evil, but it could also uh, be translated as a trial or a test. And this is not the first time that we've seen this connection between a fiery ordeal and a testing. Well, why don't you flip back uh, to First Peter chapter one just to show you this? First Peter chapter one. Uh, take a look at verses six and seven. When when Peter talks about our our suffering here, look at what he says. He says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Same, Same word there, parasmas. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, and here's the fiery ordeal here, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying that the suffering that we experience for righteousness sake is like the fire that proves whether or not our faith is genuine. It's like the the crucible that tests gold. One of the ways that that gold was was tested in ancient times was by placing it in this refining fire. You know, one article on ancient history describes the the, the process uh, of uh, placing into a small crucible a quantity of lead and a quantity of gold. And uh, this uh, crucible was made out of bone ash. And uh, as they heated it up, uh, the, the lead would absorb into the, the pores of the, the crucible and uh, the pure gold would stay on the top. So, so it was by heating it up that you would refine the gold and determine whether or not this gold is the real thing. You know, what's left behind was the gold. What kind of seeped into the pores was not. So how is our faith tested? It's tested by putting it into the crucible by by putting it under the fire and suffering for righteousness sake is like the fire that proves us to see whether or not we're genuine. And we find many examples of this uh, throughout scripture. If you remember a man by the name of Job, you know, when the Lord says, have you considered my servant? There's nobody like him on all the earth. And uh, Satan says, well, let's, let's test that. <laughs> Let, let's test to see if he's He's really one of yours. Does he really serve you for nothing? I mean, take away what he has and let's see how, how, how firm that faith is. Abraham was tested. Genesis chapter 22, you know, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the land of Moriah, offer him up as a burnt offering. It was a test for Abraham. It was a test to see if his faith was genuine. And when the true believer faces persecution for the sake of righteousness, it's like the test that proves whether or not our faith is the real thing. It proves the genuineness of your faith. So don't be surprised when it happens. Don't be surprised when you're ridiculed for your faith on the job. That's part of of God's plan to test you. Don't don't be surprised when you're rejected by family and friends because of your, your views on marriage and sexuality. Don't be surprised by that. That's part of what God uses to test us. Or if there's laws that restrict what we can and can't do as a church, don't, don't be surprised if that happens. It's God's way of testing the genuineness of faith. Like, like I mentioned earlier, we have a, a kind of Christianity today that desperately wants to, the, uh, the approval of the world. And the idea that many people walk around with is, you know, if we can show the world that we're, we're more like them than they thought we were, you know, if we, can, if we can show them that we're not strange, we're not awkward, you know, we're, we're just like you. We're not culturally ignorant. You know, we can blend in with the best of them. You know, the, the, the thinking of many is that, you know, that's the way that you win the world. You know, just, just show the world that you're, you're just as much like them as you can. But that's not what the Lord is trying to do. <laughs> the, the Lord is trying to, to, to make that, that distinction between the church and the world a bold distinction. There, there's a difference between those who follow me and those who don't. And the Lord even uses, uses test in our lives to separate to show who's genuine and who's not. God is testing us to make the distinction clear while many are trying to, to blur the distinctions between the church and the world. We're, we're the light of the world. We're not to dim our lights, cover our lights. We're the salt of the earth. We're not to, uh, to become mixed and contaminated with the world around us. And when persecution comes for the sake of Christ, the Bible says, expect it. You should have expected this. But not only are we to expect it, We're also to exalt in it. Look at verse 13 back in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. There's a a joy in suffering. The word exaltation means greatly rejoice. Rejoice with glory. That's the the final result of of sharing the sufferings of Christ. There's, There's glory on the other end. But but what does it mean here to to share the the sufferings of Christ? There's actually a a Roman Catholic view that teaches that passages like this um, show that we can add something to the work of Jesus Christ, his vicarious work on the cross. But the the Bible clearly teaches that that work was finished, right? John chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. All the suffering that was needed uh, for our entry into heaven was completed on the cross, so what does it mean when, we, when it says that we, we share in his sufferings to the degree that we share the sufferings of Christ? What is he talking about? Remember, uh, we quoted earlier from John 15 and verse 20, where Jesus said, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You're going to share in this. <laughs> I'm persecuted. You'll be persecuted. Bible commentator Lenski says we have fellowship in Christ's sufferings when we suffer for his namesake. When the hatred that Struck him strikes us. In other words, they can't reach him in heaven, but they can still reach us on earth. So instead of striking at Christ, they strike at his followers. Acts chapter nine, where Saul was called to follow after Christ, he says, "The Lord calls and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, you can't reach me, but you're you're getting after my followers, and they're connected to me. You know, the, the 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 reproaches that reproached." Christ fell upon the followers. Like we share in the sufferings of Christ, and we should consider it a privilege when we share in the sufferings of Christ. Flip over to Acts chapter five, really quick. Acts chapter five. You have uh, the disciples who were uh, brought before the, the Jewish council, and uh, lets us know how they responded uh, to the uh, the suffering that they endured. Acts chapter five. Take a look at verse twenty seven. Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 27. It says here, "'When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, "'We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, "'and yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, Intend to bring this man's blood upon us.' "'But Peter and the apostles answered, "'We must obey God rather than men. "'The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, "'whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross.' He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. And uh, you have one of the respected Pharisees who stopped them from putting their hands on them. But uh, they didn't let them go uh, without sending them with a severe warning. Drop down to verse 40. Look what it says there. It says, They took his advice, Gamaliel, And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them, ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, complaining that they had suffered for the name of Christ. That's not what it says, right? Rejoicing, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. I've been considered worthy to share in the sufferings of my Savior. I've been so identified with Jesus that the strike that would have gone to him fell on me. I'm I'm connected to my Savior. I've shared in the sufferings of Christ. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 6.17 says, uh, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. What was he saying? That that, that when I've been persecuted, I've been persecuted for Christ. These These are the marks, the identifying marks that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.10, he says, I'm always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. They, they could see the dying of Christ in his body. The marks, the, the, the suffering, the persecution that fell upon Christ was in his body. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 just to show you what this looked like. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse uh, 23. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. I, I, I love how Paul talks here, just the, the sarcasm as he's uh, confronting some of the false, false teachers that boasted in themselves. Look at verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? <laughs> I speak as if insane. I'm more so. How, how do we know that you're a servant of, of Christ, Paul? In far more labors, and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from the rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Here a danger, there a danger, everywhere a danger, danger, right? I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Do you want to see that I'm a servant of Christ? Just look at my back. (laughs) Look look at the times that I've been lashed. Look look at my body. Look, Look at how I've wasted away. That's how I'm going to demonstrate that I've been a servant of Jesus Christ. And every blow only increases my joy in heaven. I am a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And back in First Peter, it says, to the degree that I've suffered for him, it's to the same degree that I can rejoice, that I, I can look forward to the day of glory with exaltation, the revelation of his glory. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. There's a, a time that I will receive glory where... God will receive glory from my life, and I will rejoice in exaltation because of what I've suffered for his name while I've been here. It's the, the day when Jesus Christ is revealed at his second coming. It's the great reversal when suffering is turned into glory, and that which was considered to be glory will be turned into suffering. There, there's going to be a, a, a switch that's going to be made. You know, to, to, to today we seem like we're on the, the, the bottom rung. You know, we're the ones that are persecuted. We're the ones that are under the foot. But there's going to come a time when all that's going to be switched. When the sufferings that we endure now will, will just break forth in glory then. The exaltation, the, the joy over serving our Savior. And every time we've suffered on this side of eternity will be so worth it. You know, when, when we exalt in his presence with great joy, it will be so worth it. Everything that I've borne for Jesus Christ why can't we rejoice now? Because we know that there's going to be great joy in that future day when we will rejoice with exaltation, when it will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, first Peter 1 and verse 7. Do you long for the return of Christ? <laughs> Do you look forward to that day? And how would your longing increase for heaven if you actually stood more for the Savior now? <laughs> If if in this life you are standing for Christ and actually bearing in your body the marks of of Christ, you know, taking upon yourself the revile for Jesus Christ, would you have more of a longing for heaven? We'd look forward to that day with great expectation or to exult in our sufferings because of the future rewards at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number three, we're also to embrace our sufferings. Look at verse 14 back in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ... You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. It's a conditional uh, statement, sta- sentence that, that assumes the condition is, is being met. When, when Peter says, if you are being reviled for the name of Christ, he's actually assuming that they are. I, I'm assuming that you are being reviled for the name of Christ. And if you are, you need to consider yourself as Blessed. Not not every believer faced a, a violent death under Nero. There were those who would experience that later in the full fury, but Peter's readers, those who are who he's writing to at this time, weren't yet experiencing all the horrors uh, that would later be experienced. The uh, the giving to the wild beast, the uh, you know kind of pitch, putting them in, in pitch and lighting them on fire to, to light Nero's gardens. All those things weren't happening for, for these believers that he's writing to. And it wasn't assumed that every Christian was burning, but it was assumed that every Christian was being reviled, that, that something's being said because your life is standing out, that somebody's looking at you and saying, I don't really like your stand for Christ. <laughs> like, 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 your life is kind of too loud. Why don't you tone it down? You know, why, why do you want to stand out so much? There, there's something, you know, you Jesus followers, you know, you know it's, there's something being said about you. Peter just assumed, like, that's everybody, Right? <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm writing to Christians. I mean, everybody's experiencing some of that, aren't they? And there's really this emphasis in First uh, Peter on this verbal abuse, rejection, uh, rather than the, the kind of statewide persecution that would happen later. A lot of what Peter talks about is those who slander you as evildoers. You know, First Peter 2 and verse 12. You know, those who, uh, who insult you. In First uh, Peter 3 verse 9 and verse 14 of chapter 3, it says, Don't fear their intimidation. And then in chapter 3 and verse 16, it speaks about those who slander them. And he's saying that, that that's, that's everybody, right? Everybody's being slandered. Everybody's facing some kind of intimidation. Everybody's being insulted if you're a believer. And that's really where most of us face our persecution, isn't it? Rejection, ridicule, isolation, slander, public shame. You know, we're, we're being spoken evil against. And, and I'm not sure who uh, made up that that line, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I guarantee you it was somebody who was hurt by somebody's words. <laughs> it's like, oh, sticks and stones won't break my bones. You know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words don't hurt. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. You know, and sometimes people would prefer that you just hit them rather than, you know, the name calling, the reviling. And Peter says, if, if that's you, and I'm assuming it's all of you, you need to consider yourself blessed. You're, you're blessed. Same word that we find in the the Beatitudes. Peter goes on to to say you're blessed. And why are we blessed? He says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. There there is a special presence of the spirit of God if you're enduring persecution for his namesake. There's a a special resting of the spirit of God for those who are suffering persecution. What What does that mean? What what, what does that mean, to have this kind of special kind of presence of God resting on us? Let me just uh, flip you to a couple passages just to to show you what this means. Uh, What I believe this is talking about is a special empowerment from the Spirit of of God to endure what you're facing, to endure the the persecution with a sense of of calm, with a sense of of relief that we can look to Him in faith. Uh, Just a couple passages. Flip over to to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. A number of examples we could look at in Scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is one of those places. In Acts chapter 2, we find a an example of this kind of empowerment. We find the disciples being ridiculed. And this is just after the outpouring of the Spirit. The disciples are being ridiculed. And the, the Spirit of God is literally resting on them. And look at uh, verse 14. Look at what uh, Peter says, actually, I'll, I'll just uh, turn back a little bit after, you know, they're hearing them speak in tongues. And uh, verse 12 says, they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? And then, then, then who pipes up? Verse 13, but others were what? Mocking. Here, here comes the ridicule. You know, the Spirit of God has just been poured out, and already you have the mockers who uh, are given to their mocking, and they're saying, ah, they're full of sweet wine, Oh, this is a joke, guys. This is a, this, is a, this is a joke. But what happens in verse 14? But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judah and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. What, what was going on there for Peter? It was, it was the Spirit of God resting on him giving him the courage, the confidence to stand up in a way that he wasn't able to do before, to stand up and speak to the entire nation. Peter had a a new boldness. Flip over to to chapter 4. Over in chapter 4, the the rulers of the elders and scribes were together in Jerusalem. In uh, verse 18, there was the healing of a, after the healing of a a lame man by Peter, they summoned Peter and John. Look at verse uh, 18, chapter 4. It says, and when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You got to cut that out. No no more Jesus talk. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have heard. What was going on there? It it was the the spirit of, of glory that was resting upon him in the moment that he was being attacked. Verse 8 says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Over in uh, Acts chapter 7, flip over to Acts chapter 7. Stephen defended the gospel, and after the the Jewish council began to verbally abuse him, they ground their teeth in protest. They wanted to kill him. Look at verse 55 of uh, chapter 7, chapter 7 and verse 55. Actually, I'll start at verse 54. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. They began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. The witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he did what? Called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Do you see the picture of just serenity? In the midst of persecution, actually, uh, earlier it says that his face was like the face of an angel. I mean, there was just this calm that overtook Stephen in the midst of his persecution. What was that? That was the spirit of glory and of God resting upon him in that moment. And what I'm saying is that at the time that you make a stand for Jesus Christ, the spirit of God will come to your aid to empower you to make a stand for Jesus Christ that the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you. We actually find uh, only one parallel of the exact language that's used over in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 about the spirit resting. And uh, for those of you who know your Bibles, it's found in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2 to speak of Jesus Christ, that the Christ himself, that he lived with the spirit of God resting upon him. And he was able to stand in the face of any opposition, any persecutors, With with this calmness in uh, John 19, verse 11, when Pilate says, don't you know that I have authority to to crucify you? I can turn you over to crucifixion. And how did Jesus respond in verse 11? Jesus answers, you'd have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. You you just see this calmness that Jesus is able to, to face his opposition with. What is that? It was the spirit of glory and of God resting upon him. Isaiah chapter 11 verse two lets us know that he was empowered by the Spirit, and even as he prepares to suffer and to die, the spirit of glory and of God is resting upon the Savior. So we're to expect suffering. Test us, right? It proves our faith. We're to exult in our suffering, because we're rewarded at that future revelation of Jesus Christ. We're to embrace our suffering because it, it blesses us with the spirit of glory and of God. And finally, we're to examine our suffering to determine if we should be ashamed or if we glory. Last point, look at verse 15, back in uh, chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 15. It says, make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but it's to glorify God in this name. There, there's a blessing attached to Christian suffering, but Peter wants us to examine why are we suffering? You know, don't just quickly assume that, that, hey, I'm suffering, I'm blessed. Suffering for Jesus' sake. Suffering for Jesus. I think I told you that story about, a, you know, a group of Christians who were working on a, on a job and, you know, they decided they'd use their lunch break for, you know, a Bible study. which nothing wrong with that. Oh, that's great. I'd, I'd, I'd approve of that. Christians getting together to talk about Scripture for, for lunch but uh, there was like an emergency that happened on the job and the boss came down and said, Hey, I, I need you to go and check on, you know, this machine that just broke down. You know, I know it's your lunch break, but can you check on that machine? And he says, nah, it's, it's Bible study. This, this time for Bible study now, you know, we'll, we'll do it after we finish our Bible study. And when the boss let them go, <laughs> they can't say, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being persecuted for Christ. Oh, no, you're, you're being persecuted cause you didn't do your job. You know, not, don't, don't just say, Oh, it's, it's for Christ automatically. It's just for Christ. You know, I knew of another guy who, uh, you know, was going out around uh, witnessing uh, with people, and you know, kind of going door to door. And he uh, just knocked on a door, and you know, the person opened the door and you know took the track. And it's like, you know, hey, you know, thanks, I'll I'll take a look at it, but you know, got to get back to my family. And you know, instead of the the the, the evangelist letting them go, you know, kind of sticks the foot in the door, brother. I can't let you go. I got I got something you need to hear. This is today is the day of salvation. You need to hear this gospel. It's like. I appreciate it, but, like, I'm, I'm trying to get back to my family. And kept on badgering the guy until the, the guy on the inside hauled off and hit him. <laughs> He's, oh, I'm persecuted for Christ. Oh, my gosh. Persecuted for the name of Christ. No, you're not. You're, you're persecuted for your foolishness is what you're, you're being. Being persecuted for your foolishness. Don't quickly assume that the blessing of God is upon my life every time that I suffer. And there's a certain kind of suffering that you should actually be ashamed of. And that's what Peter tells us here. Look at verse 15. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Christians were being accused of all sorts of things. Falsely accused. Accused of being cannibals because they participated in the the, the communion. They're considered incestuous because they called one another brothers and sisters. Uh, They were considered haters of humanity because they didn't join in the practices. But there are also the things that uh, Peter says... Shouldn't it be true of us? Yeah, like if somebody's giving you a false accusation, that's one thing, but don't let it be true. Are you suffering because you're a murderer? Could a Christian be tempted to murder? Apparently, it could be a real temptation, especially in this day. You have uh, Jewish nationalists, zealots who believe their nation should be taken back by force, and maybe some Christians picked it up as well and said, yeah, maybe maybe we need to take over by the sword. Could be tempted to murder. Could a Christian be tempted to steal? It says, don't, be, don't, be a, don't suffer because you're a thief. Could a Christian be tempted to steal? Yeah, they could. <laughs> Especially if they believed they were being taken advantage of. Maybe they had a master who's unreasonable. You know, he's stealing from me anyway. You know, I might as well get some of it back. In uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10, it says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. That's the, the fancy word for uh, taking stuff that doesn't belong to you. Pilfering, they're stealing. My master's getting the work out of me anyway. He, he at least needs to give me a raise, and if he doesn't want to give it to me, I'll take it. How about being an evildoer? Just a, a general word for, for wickedness. First Peter 3: nine says, "Not returning evil for evil, insult for insult. First Peter chapter two, verse 16 says, "Don't use your freedom as a covering for evil." Yes, Christians were tempted to do evil. And then there's this one last category that Peter talks about here. And uh, he says, don't suffer as a troublesome meddler. What's that? It's the, it's the, the Greek word, alatri episcopas. What does that mean? Episcopas was the, the word for overseer, to superintend. Allatrias was the word for what belongs to another. So you put them together, it's somebody who's overseeing what belongs to somebody else. I'm trying to act like a supervisor of something that doesn't belong to me. I have no right over it, but but I'm going to come in, and now I'm going to give my opinion and what needs to happen, and now I'm in charge. Meddler in other people's affairs, a busybody sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. Doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility in the world. Uh, the Bible lets us know that... Uh, that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and he does that through us. We're to call the world to righteousness. But regarding the, the world, world's affairs outside of Scripture, we're not trying to stick our nose into that. We're not trying to start a revolution. We're not trying to overthrow the government. 1 Corinthians 5.12 says, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? You know, we're not storming the, the capital and taking over our nation. Take my nation back. That's not what we do as believers. And we don't expect the world to get it, do we? <laughs> when we look at, at the world, the, the world's not going to get it. We don't expect them to get it. They're confused to begin with. You know, we'll, we'll pray for you, but as a church, we just desire to be left alone. In First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it says, First of all, then I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings, for those who are in authority, Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And uh, really, for the past two years, what I've really desired for the church is just to be left alone. (laughs) Can you just leave us out of it? You know, you can meet, you can't meet, how you can meet. Can we just be left alone alone? To, to lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, like, can we just do that? And it's really been such a distraction, so unnecessarily divisive. Just leave us out of it. I mean, if we're, we're out here killing members and mixing the Kool-Aid, yeah, come on in and, and stop us. But uh, we're not revolutionaries, and we just want to be left alone, we don't suffer because we're, we're overthrowing government. That's not how we suffer. And if that's you, you should be ashamed. We're, we're not here to overthrow the government. We're not here to start a revolution. That's not how you suffer as a believer. How do you suffer? We, we, we suffer because we're just trying to follow Jesus Christ. That's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to be obedient to him. But if you're suffering as a Christian, you can rejoice. <laughs> if, you're, if you're suffering as a, as a Christian, you don't need to be ashamed. If you're suffering because you're a Christian, you can glorify God in this. It's, it's interesting to note that, that Peter uses the term Christian in this context. Suffering as a Christian, uh, that word's only used three times. The word Christian, we use it all the time today, but it's only used three times in Scripture. And uh, at first it was used as a term of derision, you know, a, a ridicule for Christians. It was a, a way to put, put down those Christ followers, you know, those, those Jesus people first used in, in Antioch by unbelievers. Also the term Nazarene was used for Christians. Again, a derogatory term. You know those Nazarenes, you know those backwoods Christians, you know, Hickville Christians, we, we know them. But Peter says if, if you're being put down because of your connection with Jesus Christ, don't be ashamed because of that. Like we, we accept that. You know, are, are you one of those Bible thumpers? Yep, that's me. That's me. I'm 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 one of the Bible thumpers. You're you're one of those Jesus people. Yeah, that's that's me. I'm I'm one of the Jesus Jesus people. You Jesus freaks, are you one of those? Yep, I'll I'll take that too. That's me. I'm I'm not ashamed because of the name of Christ, because of association with Jesus Christ. I'll take that. Yep, I'll, I'll take it. You know, you want to say I'm a revolutionary? Nope, I'm not taking that. I'm not overthrowing anybody. You want to say that I'm I'm you know the crazy Jesus guy? Yep, that's. That's me. Sign, sign me up. That, that is me. I, I will take that name and I will glorify God in that name. If I'm being associated with my Savior, I gladly take that. I, I will suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter five forty one, it talks about, remember again, it talks about those who suffered for his name. It says they, they went away rejoicing. In Acts chapter 9, the, uh, Paul was shown how much he must suffer. For My name. He's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, and I will show him how much he will suffer for it. We, we will suffer for bearing the name of Jesus Christ. You might as well get used to it. <laughs> you might as well get used to it. Take the name of Jesus Christ and wear it boldly. I will suffer for the name of Jesus Christ we have not denied the name. The Church of Philadelphia was commended because they did not deny the name. We're expected to suffer. We're exulting in our suffering. We're embracing our suffering and we're examining our suffering to determine if we should be ashamed or if we should glory. And maybe you're here today and you said, you're saying to yourself, I've, I've never experienced any of that. I've, I've never experienced any, any suffering for, for Jesus Christ for the name of Jesus Christ. Nobody's ridiculing me. You know, maybe maybe I got away from it. The question I would ask is how closely are you following Jesus Christ? Is there there enough of an association between you and Jesus Christ that people would make that connection? That he's one of those Jesus guys. Is there enough of a connection or have you followed too far to make the connection? Again, Amy Carmichael says, hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Leaned me against the tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that can me I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far? who has no wound and no scar, how closely are you following Jesus Christ? And do do you find your feet pierced because you're following the crucified Savior? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come before you, Lord, and to to look at this text. My Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not denied themselves, picked up their cross to follow after Jesus Christ, that today would be the day. Now, Father, I pray that we would follow the Savior closely, close enough where people can make an association uh, between us and the Savior. My Father, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events or where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating CDs and all digital files.